0: But, so i apologize
1: yeah so any uh, so the breathing as well um but so let's say you plan to just to penetrate a little bit you know and then you're going to blow some explosives um what that does to the people trying to do that and, and, and it's very dangerous for the people underground but the depth of these they'll be protected and and, and the, the unique nature that's why i keep saying these aren't just regular underground tunnels these are purpose-built defensible tunnel complex.
0: Not to give the Russians any ideas, though. I doubt they're necessarily listening to this space. Um, Let's assume you're in charge of, you know, Russian infantry, mechanized unit here, um, and you need to attack this and take it within a week, and you're not allowed to use some of – you're not allowed to smoke them out, to put it delicately. Is there anything that we should watch the Russians to be doing that would better prepare themselves, or is it just once you go underground, it's a whole different world?
1: Uh, so let's let's figuratively put it somewhere else, right? I don't want to talk about what it takes to sure. get to it. Uh, Yeah, okay. Let's say
0: underground bunker system or something,
1: right? So you need specially trained soldiers like spetsnaz. You would need uh, basically a ballistic shield for every individual, uh, a self-breathing apparatus, so. Uh, a closed breathing apparatus so gas mash all that just to deal with the um you would need a special set of night vision goggles you would need silenced weapons you would need uh, you know potentially you could do some robotics on strings so you would need a special unit to be frank to do this
0: so you're saying that, you know, if you have Genny the 19-year-old conscript, rocks and rolls down there with an AK with a Krinkov on the front, that he's not going to be so effective?
1: Uh, the, bad, the bodies would just stack up. I mean, and that's not – I'm not being coy. The bodies would just stack up. Um, and you could layer, if you're inside, layer defenses to where, you know, maybe they get this far. Then you have all these layered aspects of defenses and where you can close a system and, like, literally bury them in it. Um, it, it gets – really nasty, but yeah, absolutely. They would just, if they really pushed, I mean, like suicidal, like gun in their back, get underground. Um, That's just a dead person without the training, the capability, you know, the fear that would set in because again, you can't, you can't even stand shoulder to shoulder with somebody and get the courage that you usually would get in extremist situations like this.
2: Hold on. I'm going to bring up uh one of your buddies, Colonel Spencer. We have Jay coming up um he is a former army ranger jay welcome aboard shipmate <laughs> go ahead jay i know you wanted to throw in
3: yeah yeah but i mean if you ever heard about kiss right keep it simple stupid um it, a lot of depends on what type of the underground you know as far as the width and depth but um you for sure you're gonna need grenades because you can keep someone tied up in a, um, a tunnel network with just Constantina wire and booby traps. So, if you use grenades going there and just on the pathway, if you could, without caving everything in, you could set off the booby traps. Other than that, um, you could come under fire all the damn time just trying to mess with booby traps and cut through wire. So, it, it I, it's better just to bypass it and just start from out. I mean, because it, it, you're going to be sending your troops into a meat grinder. In a situation like this, I, I wouldn't do it. I would just sit back and starve them out, and wait for them to come out of the holes.
1: Right, and I've gotten that question, so that 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 I, that I agree with Jay, and, and Jay's spot on. I mean, just the it, there's not many people in the world that would say I, I'll do that. I mean, to be honest, I mean, you, even with the, the the scale we're talking about, if it was just one complex and just you know a little bit of fighters, I mean, that's a I mean, that's a over a company. You know, maybe even a tying of fighters underground. I mean, so the the alternative is what we call map and identify all in and outs, and then wait it out, right? Seal it, wait it out. That won't be a victory by May 9th. I can tell you that.
3: Yeah, because even when you take it afterwards, you'll still have to wait for them to clear the booby traps. You know, after the you know whoever gets down there comes out, you still want to send people down there and clear away the booby traps, and you're gonna lose people then. So, it's
1: yeah, it it like a no win situation. Yeah. And it, so, you can take examples from Vietnam, like, so, like, Coo Chi, right? So, they built a base on top of an underground complex. They didn't really realize it until they started missing tanks. Like, tanks started missing, you know, disappearing. They didn't realize they had built a whole army base on top of a tunnel complex. I mean, ideally, you could see, let's say, the Russians think they control and then because there's so many this network could be much larger than they think you could define they one day they think it's clear then all of a sudden now somebody's popping up behind them and and you know, doing counter you're know, basically tax and popping back in that's historical as well and, and it really that's why i mean it's it's nasty the fight's not over by far even if we and i mean what we're seeing breaks our heart and the amounts of explosive power and everything but no no it, it, there's some fighting left here is
2: there is there any idea I, I see we have hands up but i just wanted to kind of just ask the question is there any idea how many fighters are actually left in as of style or are we just guessing at this point language or axel or anybody
0: it's a bit of an educated guess um we know based on the casualties that they've taken and the amount of units that are originally there it's probably a number no more than a thousand two thousand if the border guards have been entirely a uh, but you have to remember, a lot of these units that coalesced on Azov Stall were also fighting in Mariupol um, for weeks, months beforehand. So they took some heavy casualties. Um, so it, it's unclear specifically. It's, some of the numbers I've seen say the active combat capable fighters number more in the hundreds and the thousands, to put it that way.
2: Yeah, I was about to say, if they got 2,000 guys that are there, they'll never get them out. I mean, uh, if they, they
1: have a hundred, I mean, really, if they have a hundred, will never run only- to get- It's going to be, you know, never say never, of course, but it's going to be incredibly hard to do it. Now, there are things like the whole thing about water, right? So along the Egypt-Gaza border, that's been a successful way to flood it with sewage, really to what we call neutralize the tunnel so it can't be used. But those aren't really tactics you use to get them out. So, and again, these are like documented, UN documented hundreds of civilians. It would be a massive documented work plan to use some other method than other than entering these tunnels to get the fighters out because you can't separate your actions from that of against the non-combatants babies women your children you name it so this is this is what i'm watching right this this could be i mean it's significant in all ways around they're being pushed by time so then that pushes them towards other alternatives which they really don't have it Like I said, I don't think they had the alternative to enter in clear.
2: Okay, so we did have some hands up, and I want to go to the hands. So let's go to – I can't pronounce your name. It looks like you have (laughs) – It's actually – it's Iliad, uh, but this word is
4: pronounced Shaw. It means what? Okay, Uh, so we're going to go to language order.
5: Sorry about that. One second. Uh, Just a heads up for the audience. Uh, I want everyone to share and retweet – Two links which are in the nest which are just beneath the title and uh as they said in less than 40 minutes we'll have uh, alexander windman joining us and accompanied uh in, by a panel of experts uh colonel john spencer who's already with us major Giroux, and mickey k and welcome Yehuda. Yeah.
6: Hi. Thanks, everyone. So we're going to kick off at around uh, seven PM uh, Eastern Standard Time, and uh, we'll do a little intro. Um, I will. The format will be: I, I will do an intro, introduce the panel. Um, there will be questions that we've uh, gathered. I will ask uh, some of them, and then the panel can discuss them as they see fit. Uh, and if we have time, we're going to bring up um, a, a, a few people that have questions that have been pre-prepared uh, and vetted, and uh, and we're going to uh, see, uh, and, and then we'll pose those questions. So the questioners will ask one question, and then they will mute the mic uh, and let the panel discuss. Uh, we won't have time for follow-ups to questions, so just uh, it's a little different because of the timing are concise this time around and we're just going to make sure we make the best of it so thanks again for joining i'm going to come in and start moderating at around 10 minutes to seven just to uh prepare the ground and uh familiarize everyone again thanks so much thank you sir okay so let's go to show or
2: what and then we'll go to language thank you i i've got um, a very short question
7: uh so uh <clears throat> it's obvious that people on the ground are short of of
6: supplies like water and food. What about air because uh, uh upside uh or on on the, on the surface is constant constant shelling it's always explosions and lots of smoke uh Is there any uh air ventilation system does it uh filter like smoke? what do you think?
0: They have some uh, air ventilation systems. This place was designed somewhat as a nuclear uh, bunker um, back in the 60s and 70s. That's not the entire place, but there are at least certain rooms in there with air filtration systems that are alleged to be able to operate hermetically for a period of some time.
5: And I believe we have Exxon here with us, who actually was in Azov and have seen the compound himself, so... He might be able to share some details about the layout and the intricate details if axel is here
8: yeah yeah um at that point in time uh, as of star when we were there we were considering a refurbishment and uh, structured trade and commodity financing facility so obviously we didn't see all the tunnels but we were guided around uh, some of the blast furnaces and uh, uh, were allowed to step down into some security areas so some of the video footage, which most people would have seen, um, yeah, looked eerily familiar. Um, nothing had changed. It was equally dark and imposing, but there, uh, the facilities, were, not only were they multi-story, um, at some at some time, I think that the deepest we went was about four floors, um, a vast array of corridors. They had very good maps to show us around, and we were told with a yeah, quip and a smile that, if they were to shut down the light and were to leave us alone, we would probably never find out again. And uh, um, yeah, that uh, they had uh, technicians who uh, from time to time worked in shifts of eight hours down there and then they relieved them to go back up. Uh, some of the um, components of the blast furnaces were deeply embedded in the ground and therefore they needed also maintenance tunnels surrounding them like a girder or like a circle. So they had to provide... Uh, yeah, a vast integrated network of facility tunnels. So, and for everything there was redundancy. I think this is the key aspect of these tunnels. Not only were was there the um, <coughs> nuclear bunker, as you just described. Actually, actually, I think there's two of them. Uh, from what they told us, at least they told us that there were two bunkers, which were high security bunkers, like uh, one as a civil um, protection bunker, and the other one, obviously, some kind of a, a technical hub for emergency purposes. And uh, air filtration systems we did see, but very old school. Um, yeah, the classics, which you would expect if you go deeper. And uh, we could see that they had significant water, um, yeah, provisioning capacity. So you actually had um, generators, water. You could uh, you could survive there. Um, but it is uh, for anyone who doesn't feel comfortable in close, compact, and condensed spaces, it is abs- It would feel absolutely threatening after quite some time. So, you need to be a very motivated, hardened bunch um to be there for such a long time. I think it is um, it's very hard to find words. I think colonel Spencer said it it is it takes special kind of people to survive in that environment. It's stunning and uh, yeah, and the other thing is the walkways there's many, many access points um very well hidden sometimes, some very close to various facilities, which I presume are now covered with rubble and uh i wouldn't want to be on the surface to fight against whoever can come out of the tunnel
2: so let's go to language and then jay please
8: so there's a
0: morse code repeating on 3535 um it could be russian naval it could also not be russian naval we've made mistakes in the past um there's several minutes of an active sos signal that ended just a couple of minutes ago um followed by some kind of receipt message at which point the line went dead so to be clear, this is also a channel that can be used by amateur radio broadcasters, and there is no guarantee that this is anything to do with any Russian naval traffic, but you, you don't usually hear SOS signals getting broadcasted, you know, from a high-power transmitter for several minutes on end. So, again, little bread comes with information by themselves.
5: They mean nothing, but it maybe indicates that something's going on in the Black Sea. And language and Craig, can you remind us the recent or somewhat recent news piece or allegations are that Russia, another Russian warship uh, was hit and sank, presumably, in the Black Sea. What kind of ship that was? It was a frigate, I reckon. And what uh, project, project number of the ship?
0: I don't know the project number. I
5: know it was called <laughs> the Admiral Makarov, and it was a frigate, and I
0: don't
2: really know much more about it beyond that. Yeah, I'm trying to find a place where it was allegedly hit. Um I'm trying to figure out that but I have heard that news as well but I haven't gotten a, an an area where that ship might have been located or allegedly struck.
0: And that's a pretty modern ship using the world's most accurate information source Wikipedia. It says that that thing was launched in 2015. So this isn't some old old ship. Um you know this is something that nominally has modern equipment, modern radars. Um I mean it'll be interesting if it turns out that they're able to, you know, sink and kill this then. I think we can chalk it up more to Russian ineptitude than Russian lack of equipment, because this is one of the newest ships
2: they have in the Black Sea fleet, honestly. I think it would speak not so much to their equipment. I think it would speak to their, to the training of the, of the staff. I mean, what, I mean, I, I just can't imagine that you, they would put sailors like this on a ship this modern and not train them enough to be able to read a scope. I mean, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know that, that, I'm going to have an aneurysm if I think about that even further. It's just insane. Like, what, what is going
0: Compatency, on? Complacency is a slow and insidious killer, and it'll get you when you least expect it. Yeah, this is like the mo- sorry.
2: I was going to say, ain't that the truth? You're right.
0: That's, uh, so look, uh, because if we have somebody who is an expert on Admiral Grigorovich class of vessels, please do come up. Um, we could use your input. Otherwise, everything I get is going to be things I'm learning. 20 seconds before I read it to you, and I think there's better ways to communicate information than that. You can tell us that uh, there's a couple of them. They're sending some to India as well, and they're essentially the one of the most modern frigates that Russia has.
3: All right, Jay, go ahead. Yes, uh, the only – I was thinking about it. I said um, just like in urban combat, a lot of times when you breach a building – the best way into a building is making your own doorway, you know, blowing a hole in the rooftop and going down and forcing the people out into the street. If they knew where these people was held up at, they could dig a hole downward and uh, try to blow their own entrance. that That's what I would do, then flush them out into the open. A number of these things have concrete on top of
0: them as well. Um, It's not just, you know, dirt all the way down to some basic structures. Uh, there's a number that are alleged, at least these bunkers that were talked about, have several meters thick concrete around i mean this was designed to be essentially a nuclear fallout shelter as i understand it
3: right but i mean earth and and, and concrete and everything has to do with the nuclear fallout but you can blow your way in there it's going to take you some time but i'd rather make my own entrance than if anything you know what i'm saying instead of using the entrance, it can be booby trapped
1: that yeah i agree with you um So you'd have to, you you would see that level of the drilling. You can't do that by hand. Um, The level of the drilling equipment you would need and the time you would need. Again, that's, so after May 9th, we can talk about like what we think the strategy is going forward, but you're right. um, But this is a very special type of tunnel. You would need, again, very special types of equipment, very special types of miners. You would need a lot uh, to do that.
2: Uh, let's go to Sean and then Dr. Pasha. Sean, go ahead. Uh,
9: yeah, thanks so much for, uh, for letting me speak. Longtime listener. Um, archaeologist from, from Texas, so so nowhere near the experts we have here. But spent three seasons in Ukraine uh, working at Kersinisis. Uh For those, I'm sure <clears throat> some of you recognize that. Uh, Greek uh, origins. Uh, famous site near Sevastopol uh so met a lot of people during that time and uh you know one of the things i want to speak to is just the resilience and uh uh, ingenuity of the ukrainians because if you know if i learned anything while there it it was that you know so um just feel for them so much and um you know thank you for the space it's brought me comfort (laughs) you know knowing how uh you know how how the people are suffering there and so uh i'm hoping to have another whiskey tonight if it's another boat that's gone down so we'll keep keep paying attention and tuning in and uh just like to hear hear more about the ukrainians and and you know i know we get into russians and and operations and there you know putin my god we talk about putin so much but the more we can speak about the ukrainians and and you know their experience, their culture, their history, uh, and I know you all bring it. But, uh, you know, keep bringing it, and uh, glory to Ukraine, and glory to the heroes.
2: <clears throat> Thank you. Oh, crazy. uh Tim. Oh, wait. I'm oh, not Tim. Where did you go? Dr. Doctor... – oh, Dr. Posh is gone. Okay, never mind. Uh, <laughs> let me get up somebody else here in just a second. Oscar, I see you. I see you with your hearts. I hope Odessa is doing well. mm mm-hmm. Hang on one second. Folks, let me cycle up some speakers. Uh, No to the person in the DM. Now is not the time to speak about trains and grain supplies out of Ukraine. Uh, We're going to stay on subject. I'm not going to divert it too much. I will get to commodities training, uh, commodities uh, this weekend. We will get into that. Sorry. Okay, so question in the DMs actually seems like a good one. Um, So this might be more for language and Axel. Um, So Given the offensive we've seen around Kharkiv, is this a culmination of Ukrainian offensive capabilities, or do you see this more as not wanting the Russians to solidify their gains? So is this more pro-Ukrainian, or is this more anti-Russian type of activity, if that makes sense? I
0: think it's a little bit of both. I would hesitate to use the word culmination of Ukrainian military uh, goals. Uh, Ukraine's been very good at not... Overstretching themselves into pointless offensives when they can, when they aren't sure that they can take the territory. Uh, at least around Kharkiv, initially, it appears the biggest thing was just to push the Russian artillery back so they could no longer shell the city indiscriminately. That happened once the operation really got underway. That happened a lot quicker um, than most people had expected. The Russian forces kind of melted way back east of the Sibersky Donetsk. After that, we've seen uh, things to the southeast near Suhiv. That's an active Ukrainian offensive design. It looks to push against and menace Russian supply lines. That's, that's certainly an offensive. It's not just to try and uh, solidify a point. And then to the north of Kharkiv, uh, there's a Ukrainian offensive that appears to have the goal of pushing all the way back to the Russian border and then solidifying control there. So there's three kind of operations going on at the same time with, that, that could be answered in different ways.
2: So just to kind of add, some, add a little bit more oomph to the question... Do you feel that this shows a strengthening of the Ukrainians or a weakening of the Russians? Right. I think that was the question they were looking for.
0: I'd say it's more a weakening of the Russians. It's difficult, right, because they're both going to play out the same way. We are seeing a strengthening of the Ukrainians and that they're able to push out from Kharkiv. Um, is that due to the lack of surrounding Russian troops in Sumy region? Who knows? Uh, is it because they have received better arms, better equipment, more manpower? also a possibility, but it's really a give and take. It's very difficult to call it one way or the other, though I think we can empirically say Russian combat ability continues to degrade as time goes on, and to all intents and purposes, the general Ukrainian combat ability continues to be uh, upgraded.
8: So, yeah. not the
4: most satisfying answer. But...
8: Yeah, Axel, go ahead. Jim, um, still think that the Delaying action and activity um, around the Izium salient is an astonishing um, show of uh, very capable defense from what we can see from the outside. And it's great tactics. It's um, evidently frustrating, the Russians, that whenever they push forward, they're again attacked from the sides. Uh, Ukraine has made a lot of hay out of uh, the woods. Um, on the northern p-79 line um, to slow down and attrit especially the armor um, of the russians they've lured them into the open space towards bavinko and Kurulka, and they've uh, very slowly only allowed them to progress alongside the mo4 so now the russians are spread out in this and essentially if we are right to assume that more and more of the longer range and precision-guided-munition-loaded, higher-quality Western artillery is coming into play and into the- into theatre, this could end up being like shooting fish in a barrel. It's um, If it works, it's a logistical and uh, battle-tactics masterpiece of the Ukrainian armed forces, and not necessarily only a show of weakness on the Russian side, because, yes, of course it's easily conceded that uh, there BTGs to the extent that we know it from the outside and I'm, I'm not an infantryman at all but uh, from what I understand from my friends in mechanized infantry and armor um these BTGs have not had enough um reconstitution reformation whatever kind of time to replenish their ranks um they have a lot more infantry than others as we understand because a lot more infantry seemingly is supposed to have come against especially the uh what is it this Kurulka Uh, corridor, and seemingly the Ukrainians are mowing them down um, as if it were, I don't know, a recap of Chosin or, I don't know, Demyansk. It's very difficult to find words for this. Um, Seemingly, the the bodies are stacking up on the Russian side. So from that perspective, uh, the Ukrainians seemingly are doing exceptionally well in attritting and frustrating uh, the Russian advance, which they have slowed down. Yes, everybody says that the Russians are making progress, and they're moving forward. And then, you know, these battle tactical maps appear with ever more progress and ever more red color. But essentially, you have to consider what is the cost-benefit ratio, what they've achieved, and have they not actually been lured into the same salient where their Soviet predecessors have essentially been reduced to a third of their strengths and then had to retreat ultimately. It's 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 very strange. If you think about it, that this salient could be decisive in in order to reduce the northern part of the Donbass front to rubble, especially if and when the Ukrainians were to make a move after having swept north, now to the north um, east of Kharkiv, and having made efforts to segregate essentially Russian troops in there and, and sever their supply lines from the north we could end up seeing um, one of the biggest defeats in Russian uh, history. It's, it's, it's Of course, this is all in the balance. I'm just trying to highlight what I now experience. And many people have said that we should wait for the Russians to make this massive attack. And they are doing it, but they're not getting through. And how should I put this? This is probably a very skewed comparison. But if you think about the rumble in the jungle, and how Ali managed to attrit Frazier—the rope a dope somehow—it feels like yeah, it's like somehow it feels like that. This is the only image which comes to my mind all the time. But anyway, so that's just me.
2: I like to use I use I like to use uh, judo as a good comparison. Just letting, just sidestepping them, letting them go past you, and just using their momentum to get them. Because for every mile you advance, is a mile you have to supply, and a mile you have to supply, you have to guard. And it just it just seems like they're just one step ahead. That's of That's good. You know, they're just using they're just they're just one step ahead of the Russians all the time. Um, let me see. So real quick, let me just put out a PSA really quick. Uh, we do have Alexander Vindman, uh who will be joining us this evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So that's U.S. Eastern Standard Time. Hold on. Let me bring Ryan into the conversation. Okay, so Alexander Vindman will be joining us at 7 p.m. Eastern, so approximately in about 20 minutes. Uh, We would ask that you please retweet and share this space or retweet that link at the top of the nest, whichever you prefer. Um, One second, Ryan. Let me just finish this really quick, brother. Um, So we would ask that you retweet and share. um, And then we would also ask that you please consider giving to MariaAid.org. Go ahead, Ryan.
10: Uh, sorry, i was just kind of peripherally listening. Listening here, so we may have already covered this ad nauseum. Um, but were we discussing the prospect that uh, maybe the soldiers in Mariupol are sandbagging and they've got more supplies down there and ability to hold out than they're letting on? Um, I would think, given the size of the underground bunker there, um, and knowing that they expected this somewhat for a period of months in advance could they not have a year or two's worth of supplies down there for a hundred battle-hardened fighters just to keep absolutely them for months on end
8: I, absolutely i can definitely attest to the fact that they even had uh in their bunker system at the time when it was just civilian use they had tons of reserves there
10: i mean i'm I'm from middle America, about as close to the armpit of North America as you could get. And I still remember during my college years in the early 2000s, they had um, water containers in the basement of the state college library from uh, nuclear fallout shelter times that they had converted into a trash can. But I mean, if you've got water stores and some dry tack you can hold out for pretty long, can't you? As long as you've got ammo and hope.
8: Uh, Ryan, there's one more thing. They have a water purification system there, and they do have uh, deep water wells. Well, Water is, not their, pro- if, water is if, not their problem. If they're
10: not short on water, then all they need is ammo, and I think uh, Mr. Spencer could attest to that much more thoroughly than I ever could.
2: That's actually a good question, Colonel. Um, would you say that you're... That you're expending of ammunition would be at a would be at a lower rate, given the confines of this, or would you expect heavier firefights or shorter firefights?
0: Colonel,
10: sorry, just a short question uh, in between. One second, sir. The, the, the water purifying does it require?
2: One, just give me one second just give me one second we'll, we'll bring it up Colonel Spencer are you with us or no I'm sorry I,
1: I, I am with oh. you for about two minutes and I'm dropping oh. off for Shepard Smith on NBC
2: oh okay more than fine we'll let you go I'm not going to pin you down on that okay. question sorry
10: right, I'll, I'll see you guys soon with with Alec.
1: thank you thank you Colonel
10: thank you Colonel okay I always uh, call him mister yep. and I feel horrible about it because I don't know whether to call him major or Colonel
2: <laughs> I always just go with the bird always go with the feathers Major,
8: uh, just, of I just freeze. I'm I'm not but military, right. so
10: I try to as defer. As he
8: told us, as he told us, Major Major of the Rangers and now Colonel of the National Guard.
10: Ten Ford, thank you.
8: Juha, go ahead. You were talking about water purification. I'm sorry.
10: Yeah, just a question: If there's water purification and deep wells, then uh, do they need any electricity, or can they
8: be also operated without any 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 power? I really don't know.
10: I would think those would run off of an electric submersible pump. There's probably potential that they could manually operate them, especially if they were built for a fallout shelter application where they may or may not have access to power or a generator. Uh, I wouldn't want to man a hand pump for a water well, but uh, it's better than dehydrating to death.
8: Hey. I think that's a good point. You can always convert an electrically po- electrically powered system by means of, you know, upgrading it so to say to manual. There shouldn't be a problem actually. And I'm quite sure that if they had that issue, they will have probably already at the beginning thought about it can I, given how can I, smart they are.
2: Can I ask you a question during the during the the smelting process, you wouldn't use salt
8: water, right? You have
2: to use fresh water or no? Uh
8: I think there will be people who can talk about this, but uh, you can purify brackish water.
2: Okay, all right. Um, Martin, uh, CJ, welcome. How you doing, brother?
3: Doing uh,
2: great. Awesome, good to hear it. Sounds like uh, sounds like your Ukrainian brothers are doing some work north of Kharkiv. Um, yeah,
1: language learners are uh, putting me to task and making sure that all the uh, spotted M triple sevens aren't actually D thirties in disguise. You know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I thought we'd brush that one under the rug, but no, he's, he's absolutely right. Um, it, for those of us who may or may not also be me, any good ways to keep from being fooled by a D30 or should I just put glasses on? Gun shield. That's about it.
1: But you called it right. So unless I missed a tweet you deleted.
2: No, he was covering his tracks. We all know he thought it was a D30. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> he's just covered himself. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know. Um, Axel, you unmuted yourself. Did you want to add something? I'm sorry.
8: Yeah, no, I just want to quote someone, one of our regulars. I don't know whether he has managed to say it earlier because I simply wasn't there all the time, as you know. Um, But uh, Cajun was so kind as to highlight this uh, quote. I think he has it from some place, but it's very good. Putin's greatest mistake, and he has made some huge huge ones with Ukraine, Ukraine, was was that he he sent an army of slaves to liberate free people.
2: How ironic. Uh, Martin, you have your hand up. Go ahead, please. Hi,
11: guys. Uh, On the topic of uh, uh, fresh water supplies in Azov, uh, uh, first point is uh, usually with these systems and this kind of infrastructure, you have a manual way of pumping the water. Secondly, um, there is filtration system because you cannot produce really good steel with salty water Uh, and if you cannot combine those two there is multiple ways i'm imagining uh, people stuck in there already know to filter water with materials you usually get in a uh, uh, steel plant uh, uh, in any kind of industrial uh, situation you just uh, you just need Basically, you need uh, heat, heating equipment, some kind of uh, flame maybe, and you need uh, clean sand. That's all you need. So water won't be a problem in any kind of, of facility uh, for, for producing steel. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's
2: nice and simple enough. Drew, welcome back. Uh, let me add your partner in crime here, Drew Colby's coming up as well. So again, just a quick programming note in about 14 minutes, we're going to have Alexander Vindman uh, will be joining us at 7 p.m. Eastern. So that's 14 minutes for those of you who are in different time zones. Um, We're going to be just to, just kind of give everybody the order of how we're going to handle this. We're going to lower people down so we can bring certain speakers up that um, have some questions for Alexander Vindman. Obviously we want to get Colonel Spencer back up here. So please, please, please do not be offended if we lower you down. Um, That's not in any way indicative of how we feel about you. But obviously with a special guest, we just kind of want to clear the space a little bit, clear the air, and then kind of operate on a much, you know, uh, smoother tract, as it were. Um, And we're going to get some co-hosts up here that are going to help moderate that. Uh, Colby, welcome. Drew, welcome. Uh, Ryan, thank you for lowering yourself down. We appreciate that. Uh, Language, please go ahead
0: yeah we actually just because we have a couple minutes to fill before we get uh, all of our uh, subject matter experts here there's actually a gentleman who has some family um around Kharkiv or some contacts around Kharkiv who had come up i don't think he raised his hand but if uh, you want to share some information is it possible that we have enough time to uh get back to him that was matt sai 22 n-a-t-s-a-i or at n-a-t-s-a-i 22. um some updates from Kharkiv. Um, so regarding looting in Starry Saltive, a situation with the dam and fighting around Kharkiv. um, he's got friends there.
2: Is this the, is this the, the dam near, um, near the middle of the Donetsk River? Or are you talking about the Southern end?
0: Uh, Nat, I think we've got you up here now, sir.
2: Oh yeah. Nat, go ahead, brother. Never mind, He doesn't like me. I'll invite That's him back you. up here. I'll let him, hold on. Let me get him back yeah. up here. Here he comes. Hold on it's okay. He's probably staying at a Hilton. He could have stayed at the Holiday Inn Express last night. Hello. Yes. Yeah. Nat. Nat. Sai. Uh, I think you and language have been talking. Language. Go ahead. I don't. I don't know what you guys. What subject you guys have. Go for it. Uh, Nat, the floor
0: is yours. You said you had some updates or some friends from uh, Kharkiv.
12: Oh yes. Hi. Hello. I spoke uh, a couple days ago in the space. Uh, I had different handle. Uh, stand with Ukraine that time. Uh, so quickly. Um, I'm working with the group of volunteers in Kharkiv, and I have a lot of friends there and I keep in touch every day. And we have, um, you know, well, I can just give you an update on how does it feel right now to live in Kharkiv, um, what is happening, and um, like a little bit uh, news on Starry and and surrounding areas.
5: It so... would be great. Just a heads up, Nat. Let's Sai, um, we have five minutes before we will be joined for a scheduled event. We'd love to hear what's going on in Kharkiv and uh, please do share. Uh, just uh, stay put after that because we're going to shift to Colonel Alexander Bidman who will join us at 7pm. But please share about Kharkiv and then we'll be more than glad to hear more from you.
12: Yeah, thank you so much. Well, I will be brief. Uh, I can do that. So first about shelling. Uh, it's changing. Uh, so for example, if before there were mines or grabs um, right now there uh, today for example were only uh, larger explosions and rockets maybe it confirms what was said before that Russians were pushed back and they have only long range um, artillery re- reaching Kharkiv and then um, uh, what regions of Kharkiv are affected by shelling right now it's all uh, northeast, north and uh, northwest so it's if somebody knows it's uh, Danilovka, um, Alekseevka, mm-hmm. Paolo Polia, and Saltovka. And um, there, uh, there is nothing open uh, in terms of stores or uh, hospitals, uh, nothing. And But there are many people. There is occasional aid centrally distributed, and hundreds of people are gathering in the lines to get it, and it's very dangerous. I've seen pictures, but I really don't want to share it because it just uh, doesn't seem right. And, um, well, uh, in terms of fighting, uh, for example, Ruskaya, Lazavaya, Kazachia and Stary Saltiv, uh, they call it gray zone. Gray zone means that uh, there is no Ukrainian or Russian troops inside. It's kind of in the middle and it's uh, like under the fire ridge. Um and, for example, Ruskaya Lazavaya or Stary Salty, they're, uh, well, Ruskaya Lazovaya, they're being taken. Like, one day it's more Ukrainian, one day it's more Russian, but it's not really clearly taken yet. And um, for the Starry Salty, what I learned today, that <clears throat> before the bridge was uh, over them, destroyed, but now the water in the reservoir was lowered by three meters, and Ukrainians were able to fill out the gap. And it's right now the passage is open. Like they can have certain vehicles passing on this um, soil, whatever was filled, this gap. But they don't really go there because it's dangerous, because it's within uh, reach of Russian fire. And actually, I think yesterday, Russians were crossing over this newly built bridge back to um west coast of the reservoir. But um what is the most disturbing I thought was the way <clears throat> how Starry Saltif was destroyed and lo- looted and um so you can imagine that this reservoir is a very nice place in terms of uh water sports and just rest and had a lot of um, like boats on the water and kind of um, like these special places uh, where you can rent and rest kind of resorts. So there is no boats left. All were taken and stolen, mm-hmm. any type of uh, boats. Even they get all the paddles. It's completely clean. And they had um, maybe hundreds of them in the water. Then in mm-hmm. these resorts... Everything is taking out, even hardwood floors, laminate floors, everything from the walls. It's completely empty. So um, that is just so heartbreaking. And this is all what I have for today. Thank you. Thank you.
2: Thank you for sharing that. Um, It's important that while we are going to be joined by a special guest um, here shortly, we want to remember that this war is being conducted against the Ukrainians. This is, uh this is the genocide of the Ukrainian culture and the economy as well. Just
5: a follow-up question. Have Russians been completely pushed out from Tserkune and a lot of net
12: No, not yet. I think Tserkune is that um, gray zone. And uh, definitely they are still in Lipsy. Uh So so there is, uh, I don't, well, I can re-ask, but I got the impression that Tyrkuni, uh, Ukrainians still don't have access to. Hello.
5: Yes, thank you. Just for the understanding, Tyrkuni is uh, really close to Kharkiv. It's like a, it's like a suburb of Kharkiv of sorts, uh, few kilometers away to the south, uh, to the southeast. Yes.
12: No, northeast.
5: Northeast. Pardon. Yeah. A lot of is to it's the southeast.
12: Yeah, it's just right uh, behind, adjacent to the beltway of Kharkiv and Saltivka.
6: Okay, welcome, Yehuda. Hey, Drew. How's everyone doing? Um. Alrighty. So we're just gonna get ready for uh, today, and I'd like to thank everyone for joining. And if you could retweet and uh, increase our profile um, for our esteemed guests, that would be great. And uh, I'm just gonna go over the house rules for the evening. How we're gonna conduct the interview slash discussion. And um, if you have any questions, uh, now's the time to ask them about that. And uh, are we getting uh, John Spencer up or, or Drew, are you going to sit there?
7: I'm sorry, you a, what was that? Uh,
6: okay, hold on. We're hold waiting text. for Spencer to
7: join. In the meantime, if everyone so we're going to please...
5: reshuffle a little bit the panel right now. So uh, rest assured, we'll bring you back. Just don't worry. Just a few technical details and uh, I'm going to take care of that. And Yehuda, and Drew, back to you. Yeah, and I just wanted to go ahead and ask everyone to please tweet out the space.
7: Um, it's not every day that we're um, joined by such esteemed guests like uh, Alexander Vidman, so we really appreciate it. Um, if you go, go ahead, please tweet it out. For those of us, for those of you who are just joining us, um, we have been running this space twenty four seven for about seventy days now, um, starting day that uh russia invaded ukraine most recently february 24th and so it's been a non-stop twitter space 24 7 um focused on <laughs> focused on um providing you the news from ukraine on the ground um so if you could please go ahead and follow walter report um, that's the main account that we use to host these spaces we really appreciate having you here and if you have um questions for the panel um please feel free to tweet out to walter report and we'll do our best to um, get those questions
6: answered for you all right thanks so much drew okay um we uh for those requesting we're gonna have to wait till the panel all gets in here we have uh, some people selected for questions and uh and we're gonna uh we're gonna watch and shoot as uh, as we progress uh Colonel Vemmins popping on momentarily, and we're waiting for uh, Colonel Spencer. Mr. Giroux, welcome to the panel. Uh, And uh, Flight Commander K, uh, retired, is coming up as well. So, again, thanks for everyone uh, for being a part of the discussion. As Drew was saying, we've been running 24 hours, 7 days a week, since uh, before the invasion occurred. We uh, we endeavor to bring you news, information, uh, people on the ground in Ukraine, uh, detailed uh, expert analysis, um, and uh, round robins of discussions. So we want to uh, thank you again for joining. And uh, uh, once all the panelists are you Yehuda, it. it looks like we may have lost you for about the last 10
7: seconds there.
6: I'm here. Yeah, sorry. I said, Drew, will play some elevator music. We're just going to wait for the panel to, uh, to all get in here.
5: Yeah, and then in the meanwhile, please share and retweet this space. Again, press the blue button on the bottom right of your screen with a plus sign and share and retweet. Yeah, and for panelists on your cell phone, uh, a pro tip, if
6: you have an iPhone um, and you don't want uh, your speech interrupted just like mine was, go to uh, Do Not Disturb on your settings so that calls don't interrupt um, your Twitter Um your Twitter application, so there's that. All right, uh, welcome Colonel Vinman. How are you? Uh,
4: are you hearing us? I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm here.
6: Excellent, great. Uh, we're waiting for John Spencer and Mikey K. All right, this is great. Thanks so much. Uh, welcome everyone to the panel. As uh, as we were just saying earlier, we've been doing this for about uh, 70 plus days since before the invasion and um, 24 hours, seven days a week. Uh, We are definitely glad to have you here, and we are going to kick off. um, uh, Colonel John Spencer will be here momentarily, and so uh, in the meantime, uh, we will start. So welcome to the Walt Report, and thank you in general for your continued support of our space, and specific for MRE-AID. For those of you who don't know us, MRE-AID is a newly minted NGO formed in North America, it's dedicated to assisting and uh, helping the preservation of Ukrainian society, uh, sovereignty, and democracy. We're a diverse group of professionals from many disparate fields, military, government, logistics, IT, journalism, procurement, and fundraising. However, we all have one common goal, and that is to support Ukraine and defend her democracy. Today, Ukraine is under attack by Russia. Uh, this is Putin's war of choice, and it's on people of ukraine and its democracy with us right now on our panel we have a special guest alexander vindman lieutenant colonel u.s army retired he's a new york times bestseller um and uh here right matters um former director of european affairs for u.s national security council uh you might know who he is you might recognize the name uh very very happy to have you here and we have um just going to meet all those mics. In addition, we've also got Colonel John Centre will be joining us shortly. I'll introduce him when he's there. We also have Major Jason Giroux. He is a fellow Canadian officer. He's a, <clears throat> a military historian, urban operations instructor, urban warfare specialist, and historian. And full disclosure, although I'm not a journalist, but I'm playing one on Twitter, uh, he was a directing staff of mine uh, and a mentor. Uh, very pleased to have him here. Thank you so much for being here. And we also have Michael Kay, who is a uh, war studies expert. Michael spent 20 years as an assault helicopter pilot in the Royal Air Force, and he served several operational tours around the world. Um, Not only is is he our resident air component subject matter expert, he's also a joint operations expert, and we're glad to have you here uh, all today. Um, We will wait for Colonel Spencer to come back. And in the meantime, uh, I want to kick off the question uh, to Colonel Vindman we have um we have uh, hundreds of questions have come in actually so we have had to pick the best ones um in a nutshell or in your words uh what would you say how would you define or assess the the last 70 days what what putin has done uh what what's going on now or what and what you see the, the future might hold um bit of a softball but I just want to I would like if you can explain to our audience
4: what your assessment on the current situation is thank you sure thanks for having me on I'm really happy to be able to uh, participate and uh, be, draw some attention from re-aid and and the good work you're doing to get uh you know uh weapons non-lethal weapons and um support systems into Ukraine uh very very important and frankly probably in a lot of ways an important factor in the tactical successes of, of the Ukrainian armed forces over the course of this war. Um, I won't spend a, a huge amount of time talking about, you know, the, the entirety of, of this the board to this point. Uh, there have been a lot of interesting uh, facets from somebody that served in, I, I could say that because uh, you know, I could take a step back and take a little bit of a sterile view, having served 21 and a half years in the military, wrote a, uh, their strategy for, How the U.S. military was going to um, compete, uh, contend with Russia. Uh, The biggest uh, surprises were, of course, that uh, the massive way in which the Russian armed forces underperformed in every way, everything kind of from fundamental leadership, uh, combined arms tactics, basic proficiencies, uh, use of air power—you know—all those these uh, operational concepts of how to integrate electronic warfare and cyber and air power. Uh, uh, Almost none of that really materialized, maybe a little bit uh, coming to bear in this later phase in the Donbass. And at the same time, uh, the Ukrainians performing masterfully. uh, A lot of the hard work at the tactical level, uh, just watching the the footage of of some of these ambushes, uh, they performed uh, extremely well, extremely effective use of fires. Um, that's, that's kind of the overarching theme of, um, overperformance by the Ukrainians in a, you know, and that's an understatement, uh, if anything, if there is one, and then the the drastic way the Russians have underperformed, that certainly was the story for the first uh, six weeks of the war. The Russians were very, very slow to learn the lessons and, and, uh, took a punishing toll with regards to combat losses, uh, weapon systems, personnel, uh, thousands and thousands of losses, and then uh, a much more acute, in my my uh, view, a more dangerous phase of the war, where Russia had more limited objectives, gains in the east, uh, potentially as a condition setting for a protracted war, and and uh, maybe even a, a return to uh, Kiev at some point down the road, but relying on some uh, short term successes in the east, and that's been the the the. Uh, the Part of the campaign that's been unfolding over the past two weeks and again massively underperforming russia has really not made any significant gains uh even its claimed gains in Mariupol have been largely kind of rhetorical uh, flourishes about having seized the town even though thousands of fighters still remain in the in this uh fortress uh, as of as of steel and russia in conducting this offensive is really breaking the remainder of its armed forces against Ukraine that's fighting a very, very sharp, well-considered mobile defense, uh, mobile defense in depth for that matter, giving ground when they need to punish, uh, uh, but doing that after they've significantly punished the Russian armed forces, um, and really not being able to achieve a breakthrough to the point where uh, about two weeks into this, this offensive, and just days before kind of what must have been a, an important mark on on the wall for the russians may 9th uh it looks like the russian the russian forces are about to culminate and uh it looks like the ukrainians are positioned to counterattack. as a matter of fact i think there's a a, a good chance that they will counterattack in the course of the next several days uh in in time for may 9th and that sends a very powerful message to the the russians um um that this is not uh, this will not be remembered as a a day of victory for for russia thank you for that um as you know Marie, a lot a lot of the
6: principals here were former task force commanders of nato mission op unifier for canada and as you know america and the ukraine had uh pardon me and the uk had one as well um there are many questions uh about your opinion as to the efficacy of that of that training for the last eight years uh if colonel uh, lake was on here melanie lake she's the first to tell you and, and be very modest and say you know what we learned just as much from them as they did us um they were they were supremely impressed by their their commitment to um uh to training um what impact do you think uh or can you speak to about uh, that training
4: sure so i'll tell you that um, most of my experience from 2014 on was uh, either forward in moscow uh, or were at the strategic level in the pentagon and in the white house so i had a chance to you know kind of peek in on on the training um, missions that we had uh kind of certainly monitor what was going on and read quite a few of the reports of uh, of outputs and the people that were, were were participating in these exercises and the people that were hands on certainly didn't miss that there was an enormous amount that we could learn from the ukrainians the ukrainians on the ground were were uh really developing and honing their skills their infantry skills, their armor skills, uh, the ability to um, bring fires um, to the battlefield w- with a great deal of precision—that's actually one of the amazing uh, components of, of this war for Ukraine—is that they've been very, very effective with their uh, artillery. But I, uh, I don't know if I could—I I, I mean, I guess I can't uh, necessarily speak to um, kind of an on-the-ground feel. I know that this was uh, this is an a important feature.